All right, y'all ready to get started this morning? Not dog, all right, well, let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time, and we know that if the truth is told this morning, you're the one that'll do the telling, and so I would simply ask that you bless us with the knowledge of the truth, and then help us to learn to live according to it, and this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as usual, y'all are stuck with the topics that I'm studying at the time, and right now, or the last week or two or three, I've been working on the Lord's Prayer. The thinking about it started uh, because I've been reading some of B.B. Warfield. He was um, a man that Mike liked very much, and so I, I bought some of his works and have been reading them, and they're hard to read. He was the president of, of Princeton Theological Seminary back in 1910, smart man. He talks about a lot of things that I didn't think I needed to know about and still don't think I need to know about. But within the writings that he has uh, offered, he's got some nuggets that are real interesting. And so uh, as I began to think about the Lord's Prayer and the covenant, I wanted to see how the two related to each other. In my entire life, it's been a series of contracts that have governed what I have done, and it's true for all of us. I remember one of the very first contracts that really got my attention was when I went into the military. And you sign a contract when you go into the military, and you take an oath, and uh, you swear to uphold the Constitution of the United States. And uh, the same thing was true when I went into business for the first time. I, I went to work for Merrill Lynch in Charlotte, and I had to sign a contract. And then after Merrill Lynch, you know, as I have uh, engaged in business over the years, it's been a series of contracts. Benji is an engineer. He, he enters into contracts with his clients. It's, uh, it's true for all of us. Uh, it doesn't matter what kind of work you're in. Joe's an electrician. Well, Joe, when he uh, does work for a man, he enters into a verbal contract. Sometimes I'm sure it may be written, but uh, a lot of times it's, if it's somebody that he trusts rather than giving them an estimate if he goes ahead and does the work and then presents them a bill, but when he does the work, it's with the idea of a contract. Well, rather than belaboring the point, we are involved in a contract with God, and that is the covenant. God has made certain promises to us, and it's interesting, if you look at the, at, at the governing of us, one of, one of the points that Warfield makes is that our minds are so clouded with filth because of sin that we don't know the truth until God reveals it to us. And so this is the reason that God then has chosen to enter into covenant with us as, as a unilateral decision, if you will. God chose to enter into covenant with Abraham, and Abraham didn't make any promises to, with God or any, any deals with God in the initial covenant. He, in other words, he didn't entice God to bless him with the covenant, he simply was subject to God's grace. He had been an idolater. He came out of early Chaldees. God simply told him, leave your country and go to the place I'm going to show you. That was the beginning of, of God's work with Abraham. And so as you think about our blessing in the covenant, because we are sinners and don't understand what it is that God would have us to know, and because God then has to tell us these things, he does it by means of covenant. 
And as you all think about the covenant, of course, you, you relate it to the book of the law. You think about the Ten Commandments, which is appropriate. That's God's uh, first book of the covenant, if you will. But that all having been said, then, Christ is the Christ of the covenant. God enters into covenant, and, and what I put here at the top of the page is a, a reference. And this is going to be kind of like a Baptist sword drill this morning. And I'm sorry there's much scripture, but that's, that's where it's going to have to go if we're going to learn the truth. But look at Ezekiel 36, 24 to 32, and I'm going to read it for you. This is just one of the places in the Bible that the covenant is described. Ezekiel 36, 24 to 32. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will call you for the I will call for the grain and make it plentiful and will not bring famine upon you. I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the fields so that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. Then you will remember your evil ways and your wicked deeds, and you will loathe yourselves for your sins and detestable practices. I want you to know that I'm not doing this for your sake, declares the sovereign Lord. Be ashamed and disgraced for your conduct, O house of Israel. Now that is one of God's covenant pronouncements. And then the other one that is so interesting is Isaiah 42, and this has to do specifically with Christ. And so in Isaiah 42, 1 through 7, this is what God says of his son, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law, the islands will put forth their hope. This is what the Lord, this is what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens has stretched them out, who stretched out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to all his people and life to all who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. So he is calling his son Jesus the covenant. And as we think about covenant, uh, one of the first things that we do when we pray, and, and this is a prayer that Christ taught us to pray in the Sermon on the Mount, Y'all all recognize it, and we pray it every so frequently, not every Sunday, but most Sundays here we pray the, the Lord's Prayer. And as you think about the Sermon on the Mount, it's found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. 
Christ is preaching, first of all, to people called into covenant. So that when the sermon starts, Christ simply says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes people try to confuse this with poor people being the ones that are called the kingdom of heaven. It's not the poor, it's the poor in spirit. Now, when I read to you from the Ezekiel passage, and I'll go back and look at it one more time, Ezekiel 36, it talks about spirit. So here again what he said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and my laws. God puts a spirit in a man and it's a spirit of humility and contrition. It's, it's with the recognition and the realization that we are not worthy to come before God. We have done nothing of our own that, that warrants our salvation. God must do it for us. It's an act of grace. And so this spirit then that is spoken of as poor in spirit in the Sermon on the Mount is the beginning of your walk with Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say that as Jim develops that spirit, then he begins to mourn. He becomes meek before God. He becomes a man that hungers and thirsts after righteousness. He's, he's a man who becomes merciful. And this is true for all of us now, uh, pure in heart a peacemaker. He will experience persecution, and the intent is that, that God wants you to become the salt and the light of the earth. He wants you to spread the gospel, to be, to be obedient to the Great Commission. He wants you to tell your friends and neighbors about Jesus Christ, because therein lies our salvation. Now, as Christ goes on in the sermon, that is Matthew 5, and he ends that portion of Scripture saying, Be ye therefore perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, we know we can't do that. We have to depend on God for that righteousness that he requires. And so Christ talks about the law. He talks about obedience to the law. And it's not the outward act of the law, but rather it is the attitude of heart that God looks at. And then immediately after the law, he talks about acceptable worship to God. And again, it's a matter of heart. He talks about prayer. He talks about giving. He talks about fasting. He talks about the idea of worrying. Do we trust God or do we simply worry about the events of the next day and, and not believing that God has made provision for us? All this is, is a, a form of worship. And then finally, in the, in the sermon, Christ goes to the judgment. Judge not lest you be judged is the, is the famous passage there. But it's, it's simply a matter in Matthew 7 then as Christ concludes the sermon as to whether or not we trust God. And either you do or you don't. So this is the covenant sermon that Christ begins his ministry with. Matthew 5, uh, the Sermon on the Mount is, is preached shortly after Christ has been baptized by John in the Jordan. And as he begins his ministry of three years. Now, during that sermon then, Christ gives us the prayer that we pray, the Lord's Prayer. And so as you look at the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, what you're doing when you are first speaking those words, you are claiming an interest in the covenant. 
God has promised that you would become his adopted children, that you would become heirs, join heirs with Jesus Christ. And as you look at the Romans 8 reference, that has that is probably the most well-known of those that talk about our sonship in Christ. We are, you know, the church is made up of sons and daughters. And here's the, the, the scripture, 8. Romans 8, 15 and 16. For you do not receive a spirit that comes, or that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship. And, and look again here, he's talking about your, your, your spirit and the Holy Spirit again, uh, which are operative in the covenant. But you do not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but receive the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So you become sons and daughters of the living God. And as that, you have, in, uh, you have been invested, or God has invested in you special privileges. So when you pray, Our Father, you are claiming an interest in God and, and those privileges. And the question you have to ask yourself, of course, is it a true interest? On what basis do I claim this for myself? But that's what you're claiming as you, as you pray our Father. The next injunction, hallowed be thy name. And what we're doing with this is we are looking to glorify God, understand that there's nothing in Peter Rolfe that can glorify God apart from God working in Peter Rolfe and Peter acknowledging that. Just that easy. And so, as you pray, hallowed be thy name, realize that the first commandment that God gives in the Ten Commandments, you'll have no other gods before me. God is showing you, is teaching you how he wants to be treated by you and how he wishes you to understand him. The first question in the little catechism is what? Yeah, what is the chief end of man? And what's the answer? Yeah, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is what happens when you hallow God's name. You're looking to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now, as you look at some of the scripture that I pulled up, Ezekiel twenty forty four. You will know that I am the Lord when I deal with you for my name's sake and not according to your evil ways. That's your corrupt practices, or house of Israel declares a sovereign Lord. Now, the reason I pull this up, that's a depressing statement. But you remember earlier in the covenant, God talked about the fact that you are a wicked people and that he was doing it for you in spite of yourselves. Understand, and this is to me of some importance and is spoken of in any numbers of times, particularly in Ezekiel, but when God chose to bless us with the covenant, he didn't do it for us. He didn't do it because he saw some opportunity or some potential in, in Benji Thomas that 
would make him think that Benji was deserving of, of the covenant blessing. God intends that his name be glorified. And, and the fact is that God alone is holy. He wants to make you holy as well. He wants you to become a holy nation. But he'll never be able to glorify Ken Sweet. Ken is not worthy of that. God deserves the glory of God alone. And so he wants us to participate in that. And that's why he brings us into the covenant. It's a true blessing. Now, as you look then beyond hallowing God's name, thy kingdom come. And what I have done now is I've underlined in this uh, little paper uh, a, a word in each one of the paragraphs. In the first, it was an interest in God, and the, the purpose then was the point of the hallowed be thy name. Our purpose, the existence, uh, the reason that we are existing, uh, it, it goes right back to that first question in the, in the Shorter Catechism, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's our purpose. As you look at the king, thy kingdom come, this is God's preparation for the turn of Jesus Christ. And in order for that to happen, the covenant has to be perfected. Christ will not come back until the entire church is gathered. When the last member of God's church is called to salvation and receives that call, that's when Christ returns. And so at that point in time, as you all know, uh, sin and death, uh, the devil, all that will be destroyed by Christ, and we will enjoy a, a new heaven and a new earth. It, we, we, the, the, uh, God's creation again would again become pure. It will be perfected. It, 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 and so uh, the idea then with thy kingdom come is the finishing of God's covenant work. Now, I have gone ahead and chosen some scripture here, just simply uh, something that you already know, but look at Ephesians 3, 2 through 12. And the point of this is God has not only chosen a nation, that being Israel, ancient Israel, but he's also chosen to share the gospel with all men. And so this refers frequently, or most specifically, to the Gentiles. As you look at Ephesians 3, 2 through 12, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. This is Paul speaking to the Ephesians. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is not made known to men in other generations as it has been revealed to you by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promises of Jesus Christ. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, 
through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. So that is the blessing that we enjoy as Gentiles. And you see the... The same thing in Romans eleven twenty five. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. So this perfection of the covenant depends on our inclusion into God's covenant household. And that's a blessing that we share with Israel um, in terms of the, of the biblical story. Together, we are all spiritual Israel. Now, when it turns from thy kingdom come to thy will be done, this looks to the peace that God has established for us. It's the glorification of God's church by those being made perfect, cleansed from all uh, filthiness. And as you look at thy will be done, there's one caveat in the Sermon on the Mount that has always intrigued me, and it frankly has worried me a little bit. It's Matthew 7, and you all are familiar with it. But as Christ talks about those that are going to be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven, look at, at um, Matthew 7, verse 23 through 25. Or excuse me, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now that has scared me to death. Because I know my heart. And I'm not a righteous man. Um, I will make pretense about lots and lots of different things. I don't want to make pretense with God. That's a bad plan. I don't want to be cast out of the kingdom of heaven. I look forward to that day. Um, there have been times, and I, I know you've probably all experienced it, but about a month ago, I can't remember what happened, but, but uh, somebody alluded to the fact that everybody around them had gone somewhere, had disappeared, and they wondered if, if the rapture had occurred. Well, I've had that very same thought years and years ago. I used to pay some attention to a fellow named Hal Lindsey that wrote The Lake Great Planet Earth. And... Um, there had been a time or two in my life that if the raptures occurred and I wasn't included. Anyway, we don't, we don't want to... Uh, that doesn't be, need to be something that we worry about. My wife is still here, and so, yep, we're in good shape. As far as the will of God being done, Christ made plain to you, to all of us, that it was his father's will that was being done throughout his ministry. 
He did not do his own will, that of his Father. And so as you look at the uh, portion of the prayer that says, Thy will be done, you've got to go to the will of Jesus Christ. And that will is peace with God through the working of the covenant. Now, as you look at the scripture references that talk about the peace of God, of all the descriptions of the covenant, and the covenant um, we talk about as a covenant of grace. And grace is a wonderful thing. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of people don't fully understand grace. I've, sometimes I wonder if I fully understand the grace of God. Grace has to do, its, it's, it's clinical definition is simply the unmerited favor of God. But I think about all the things that I want. It's easy for me to think, well, God denied me this, and so um, that was something that, that uh, I should have had that I didn't. That's not the point of grace. Grace is simply the idea that um, God blesses whom he will and in a variety of ways that we fully don't understand. That's this mystery that Paul was talking about why is it that God chose to save the Gentiles? We don't understand the mystery. I don't know why he wanted to choose Mary Dunn. Mary Dunn can't tell you why she was chosen. She's thankful that she is. I've known her for a long time, but as far as trying to present her own righteousness, she just can't do it. She wouldn't do it. But when it comes to the covenant, rather than looking at the covenant of grace, the one, the, the one description of the covenant and all its various um, nuances is a covenant of peace. And that is what Christ worked for throughout his ministry. He is achieving peace so that that peace is the peace between God and Nathan Grable. And Nathan, once he is settled in that, he can rest in that because God does not change. You already know that God is... is um, well, he's declared that I, the Lord, do not change. And that is um, Malachi chapter 3, I think. But as you look at these scripture references now that talk about thy will be done, I've, I've turned to uh, or pointing you toward Numbers 25, 10 through 12. This is a story of Phineas, And the nation of Israel has joined the Moabites and they're engaging in idolatrous practices and particularly uh, wicked sexual practices with the Moabites. And Phineas, realizing that God is about to visit his judgment on the nation of Israel because of, of, of this wicked acts or the wicked acts that the nation is encouraging or allowing, uh, he sees an Israelite man and a young woman go into a tent together. He goes in and he drives a spear through the man and through the woman. And God commends him for this. And the plagues that is plaguing or that is destroying Israel ceases because of Phineas' righteousness. And so as you look at Numbers 25, 10 through 12, The Lord said to Moses, Phineas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites. For he was as zealous as I am for, for my honor among them, so that in my zeal I did not have put in an end to them. Therefore tell him I am making my covenant of peace with him. He and his, his descendants will have a covenant 
of a lasting priesthood because he was zealous for the honor of God. And you go on and look then at some of the other references to this covenant of peace, Isaiah 54.10. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you shall not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. And again in Ezekiel 37. Beginning in verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you and will clean you. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit on you and move you and follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. I'm reading 36, sorry. I'm going back to the covenant. 37 is what I'm looking for, 25. My servant David will be a king over them. They will all have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers. And I'll put my sanctuary among them forever. These are some of the blessings that God intends for you, and they have been captured for you by Jesus Christ. And so the final verse that we've turned to is Christ himself and John. And looking in John 14, this is part of his farewell discourse. Christ has preached to the nation. And in John 12, you'll see that Christ then removes himself from the crowd. He no longer preaches to the people at large. This farewell discourse is to uh, those believers, the small group of believers that are around him, the apostles and some disciples. And it was during this in 1427, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give this to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. That peace of God which passes all understanding uh, has become ours as we are joined to Jesus Christ. Now, as you think about the other signs that God has given us, when Christ was born, we've just, we just read about it, just heard the Luke uh, description of the birth of Christ. And when Christ is born, what do the angels sing to the shepherds? What next? Yeah, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to men. And as you look at the description of Christ in the Old Testament, as the prophets were foretelling his coming in Isaiah 9, he's described as the king of righteousness and the prince of peace. So all these things God had planned in advance for us, 
and have been accomplished in Jesus Christ, that peace is the peace of the covenant. And so as you think about the covenant, it's always the covenant of grace. Don't get me wrong. Grace is, the, is a great blessing. But it's just not as easy to understand as the idea of peace with God. And so when Christ's finished work occurred, if you go back and look in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, it is for reconciliation that God or that Christ did the work that he did. Uh, we have been, we have made, uh, God has made us friends again through Jesus Christ. That's why we have peace with him. Ken and Susan enjoy the peace of God because they are God's friends. And that's why God protects them. That's why God works with them. That's why God works with each one of you, why you're special, why men and women around you need to be respectful of you. That doesn't mean you're better than they are. It's just that God has made peace with you, and so He has, he has set you apart. And you, in fact, are priests. What does, what is it, Second Peter? What is that, Benji? Second Peter that talks about a royal priesthood? First Peter? Benji will find it. 2.9. I'm thankful for people that read their Bibles. But you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. You are a priesthood. You have joined Phineas in the covenant of peace with your almighty God. God has done that for you, for each one of you. Be careful then the way you... you you live your lives. It's a privilege. Anyway, therein lies the thy will be done and what Christ has done for you. Give us this day our daily bread. God looks to our daily need, of course, because He knows it was just the dust of the earth. But as far as the blessing that we enjoy through that particular uh, prayer request. It's God's goodness through the covenant. And Acts 17, you already know it. You don't need to turn there, but uh, that is when Paul goes before the Areopagus in Athens. That's, that's a, a group of Greeks that like to gather together and talk about philosophy and all the, the, the events of the day. And he has seen then the uh, various temples along the way before he, received, he arrived at the Areopagus and the various deities that the Greeks worship. And he describes the unknown God to them. You're all familiar with it. And in that, as Paul is asked to elaborate, he talks about the fact that um, it is God uh, that gives us uh, life and breath and everything else, uh, that we live and move and have our being in, in Almighty God. And that's the way he describes the way that we are, the way that all men are. And so that is part of give us, our, uh, give us this day our daily bread. But it's also a matter of God's faithfulness. He is keeping His covenant promise as He provides you with that daily bread. And so turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 6.
verses 16 through 20. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms that what is, what is said and puts an end to all argument, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Now, we already talked about the idea as you claimed God as your father that you are heirs. And so this speaks specifically to some of the privileges that you enjoy as heirs. You are heirs of what has been promised, and God has confirmed it to you with an oath, and God cannot lie. He will not change his mind. Now, when it comes to forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, the one part of this that really stood out to me, this is Jesus Christ. This is where we receive the blessing of our Lord, or most specifically refers to it. Um, it's, it's a plea that we would enjoy the graces of repentance and forgiveness. And those are the graces of God. Uh, Second Corinthians talks, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. When it comes to the graces, repentance and grace are both, I mean, repentance and faith are both acts of God's grace. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works, lest any man should, should boast. So we see here the, the reference to the idea that godly sorrow produces repentance, so God produces repentance in you, and God has given you the gift of faith so that you're able to believe. These are the blessings that we enjoy because of Jesus Christ and the covenant. And so look at Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. The him is Jesus Christ. You also see in Psalm 103 a little different approach. Let me read that to you. I've tried to include Old Testament and New Testament references here so that we, we don't make the mistake of thinking that God is, is conducting business with us differently in the New Testament than he did with the Old. Uh, the, the folks that enjoyed Christ prior to his coming had the same covenant benefits and privileges that we enjoy, even though we have seen Christ personally. But here is, is what we see David write, in Psalm 103, praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems you from your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. 
The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will He harbor His anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far He removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. For He knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and his place remembers it no more. From everlasting to everlasting, God's love is with those who fear Him, and His righteousness with their children's children. That those who keep His covenant, with those who keep His covenant and remember to obey His precepts. This is the promise of God. One of the blessings of this, as He talks about the covenant, is is I look around the room. So many of you have so many children. A lot of children are already here, but Christian has what six now. All right. Well, the the work that God has done with you as a member of His covenant also accrues to your children. And the fact that you're bringing here and, and, and allowing them to engage with God is in the hope that God will one day engage them and work the same work in them that He has worked in you. But God has promised that that is His intent, that He will work through the families so that the fathers and mothers can enjoy that same experience with their children. And it's a blessing. Tanya, you have that same opportunity. It's just a blessing. So you're, you're being a good mama to bring your children here. I know that sometimes they probably don't want to come. But they are, are being blessed by God as they do. Now, as far as the blessing itself, the last reference that I would show you here is 2 Corinthians 5. And this goes back to the idea of reconciliation. <clears throat> Verses 17 through 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting men's sin against them. And therein lies the beauty of forgive, uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Christ has taken your sin. He has become sin for us that we might become His righteousness. That's verse 21. Uh, but this blessing that we enjoy through Jesus Christ is the forgiveness of sins. And that's the basis for our reconciliation with God. Without that, we have no reconciliation. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, this is grace. Grace is just all over that petition. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We are blessed the way we are blessed because of grace. And as I thought about my own life, so many times um, there should have been 
not could have been, there should have been outcomes because of my actions that should have been very harmful and hurtful to me. I've done some mighty wicked things deserving of great punishment. And yet God, for whatever reason, has chosen to take those things and use them for my good. And so as I pray, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, um, you must realize that we have been entrusted to Jesus Christ, entrusted uh, to, to the Holy Spirit by Jesus Christ. The reason that I have been so well treated is because God, through the Holy Spirit, has sheltered me. And, they, and, and the Bible makes plain, too, that God uses angels to minister to us, ministering spirits. So why He has done that for me, why, why I should enjoy this, I don't know. But I do know the Holy Spirit uh, is, is the seal and the sign that Christ is, is doing a work in me and in each of you. And so much of the blessing that we enjoy is uh, leading us not into temptation and not delivering us to evil is because of the defense that God has set up for us. Yes, sir. All right, the question had to do with whether or not, even though we have enjoyed God's blessing, if some judgment then is going to be rendered upon us later. Is that right? That's right. Well, I know how I would answer it. How would you answer it? All right, that's a good place to start. God is merciful. Yep, and that's, that's absolutely true. He has forgiven it already. Christ has already paid for it. As far as the east from the west. Mm-hmm. He doesn't remember it. No, we've, we've, I suspect we've all felt that way. Mark, what you got? that was where I would have gone, that all things work together for good. So if that other shoe does drop, it's going to be because God is teaching you something. Uh, so it's a little bit like uh, the, that Cowper Cooper, actually. The song that says, Behind the frowning providence lies a smiling face. <laughs> all right, that's fair enough. 
Now, the last petition. Oh, I wanted to read to you about the grace of God in James. I, I, I never have warmed up to James much, but there's some real blessings in the book of James. James 1.12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown that God has promised to those who love him. And so I don't understand the providence of God always or frequently do not. Why I have enjoyed the outcomes in my life that I have enjoyed, I do not know. I cannot tell you. I certainly was not deserving of them. But uh, James just teaches us that we need to persevere. And when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised. And so of all that I've told you this morning, I know that I may be the last one into heaven, and that will suit me just fine. I'll be thankful for that. But I get to go. Of that I'm certain. And finally, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now the short of this, go to the very bottom of the page, is the glory of God. When the reformers were described as they challenged the Roman Catholic Church, uh, some of the basic tenets that, that they... Um, focused on in the reforming of the church in, 50, in uh, 1640 and, and thereafter. They depended on the Bible alone. The Catholic Church would tell you that uh, the magisterium of the church, which was the church authority, and the tradition of the church gave the church the right. They believed they had the keys to the kingdom in the sense that they could tell you what Scripture had to say you didn't get to read it for yourselves. They would chain the, the Scripture to the lecterns in front of the churches. You wouldn't get to take them. And a lot of the, the masses were in Latin so that the priests would tell you then what God wanted you to know. Well, the problem was they were lying to you. So Martin Luther, one of the first things he did after uh, he was condemned at Augsburg, he went into hiding for two years and he translated the Bible in, into the Lutheran language, I mean into the German language, so that the church there in Germany could read for themselves what God wanted them to know. That's the same privilege you have today. Mike Starnes can turn to his Bible anytime he wants to. He can use the, the, the uh, translation he, he prefers. He prefers the King James Version. I use the New International. The reason I use the New International, frankly, is because I think Danny told me at one time that it, that, that, that translation was put together so that even an eighth grader could understand it. And I figured the simpler the better when it comes to me. Now, the idea then, it was Scripture alone, grace alone, had nothing to do with works. Salvation was a matter of faith alone. And the faith had to be, that was the instrument that God used to get us to Christ. And so it was Christ alone. And finally, sola Dei gloria. All to the glory of God. And that's what we're here to do, what we're here to celebrate. It is the glory of God. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And so I will leave you then with 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31 as the final scripture for today. First Corinthians 1, 30.
and 31. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And the beauty of it is, I know that you understand that. I like coming here because that gratitude. I know that Ann Payne boasts in the Lord. I've heard her do it. Jerry, you ought to be thankful for her. You all do. Your children do. Ask your children questions about the church, about the Bible. They will boast in the Lord in their own way. They don't they haven't been called necessarily to salvation. They haven't received Jesus Christ fully, but they're receiving Christ. And that will come back and, and present a blessing to you and to your families. Boast in the Lord. Anyway, these are some of the thoughts that I had as I heard what Warfield had to say and then reading the, the uh, I've always liked the Sermon on the Mount, but trying to understand the prayer that we, we so often pray. So you will know, these are some of my own thoughts. You will come with some different thoughts and some better thoughts. When I started this, I had four pages worth, and I realized we couldn't do four pages in one, one class. So I pared it down. I don't know that what I had in four pages was any better, but think about the prayer that you're praying, and think about the, 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 your own understanding of it. Uh, think about it more in depth, but it's a blessing to us. Uh, we, we, have, uh, we, we can see all the, the blessings of God in that one prayer. It is the prayer of the covenant. It is what Christ wanted you to know. It's not because he simply wanted you to pray the prayer. He wants you to understand what he meant by it. Anyway, it's been a blessing to me, and I hope it will be to you. Let's all close in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we have been given the privilege of studying the Word of God one more time. And that's a privilege that people around the world don't necessarily enjoy. But we enjoy it here, and please help us to, to use it wisely. But thank you for your Scripture, and thank you for making us a royal priesthood, and please help us to enjoy the covenant of peace the way that it is intended, and to work to ensure that covenant of peace in, in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all very much.